Hello! Welcome into the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host today, Cameron Tebetabai, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn, as I always am. The Celtics offense is a bit of a mess, to say the least, but as fate would have it, we have the person for the job of fixing things and telling us what's what. So let's welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast, Mr. Roger Galo, the head of the Galo shot-making system. Roger, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. So uh, Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, this We actually, to tell you how the, the sausage gets made, we kind of booked this a few weeks ago, and uh, for better or for worse, we really... The folks in Boston really need your expertise, Roger. So we're going to have uh, Dr. Quinn kind of ask you some some specific questions about what's not necessarily working for the Celtics offense. Um, so let's hop right into the Celtics lab. And uh, Dr. Quinn, take it away. First of all, I want to say welcome. Thanks for coming on. The tip top thing that I want to ask you about, though, is a particular client of yours in the past uh, may be familiar to some of our listeners. That is uh, Brad Wanamaker. Could you tell us uh, about your interactions with Brad and maybe any, any Brad Wanamaker stories you might have, particularly with regards to shooting? Well, with, with regards to Brad, it was a uh, it was laying the groundwork for the basis of a, a little more stabilized shooting system than what most of the most of the gentlemen that we may be talking about today actually have working to their advantage. Um, and that sounds like quite a statement, but. Uh, Brad was being given a more center base kind of shooting system that has a, a couple of inherent advantages, uh, not only mathematically, um, the issue of balance that we all acknowledge as, as it re- relates to a shooter's effectiveness, mm-hmm. and some other issues that, that accompany movements. Um, so that, that's what Brad benefited from that seemed to have helped over the years. Excellent. So let me kind of just set the table for what's been going on. This is going to be a little bit of a discourse, but I'll try to keep it as short as I can. Okay. Now the Celtics under Ime Odoka in, I think what now seven games, it's very small sample size. So a lot of what we are seeing may just be a lot of noisy things all working together, but shooting does seem to be a pretty big part, particularly from beyond the arc, but also near the basket, which is pretty strange. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, they nearly made history with a 7.7 success rate against the Washington Wizards on October 30th. Uh, they lost that game going back to jumpers when attacking the cup um, was working. Uh, it just seems to be kind of a default thing in today's NBA to kind of just like when, when you're having struggles, just go back on your jumper. So my first question for you about that is what is the right balance when we are watching a team um, like the Celtics take 26 shots and only sinking two of them? I mean, when do you, when should you, you know, kind of pull it back a little bit? That two for 26 number, Mm -hmm. uh, was that field goals? That was three pointers. That's what I thought. Those were three pointers. And that's my recollection. And, and the reality is, and this is a little unconventional, but that's I'm, I'm very radically different than most in this regard and in a lot of other ways with regards to mechanics. That three-point shot is the one that should be least affected in a negative way unless you're taking a contested three-point shot. And 
there aren't too many coaches new or not new to the game that would allow too many players to take contested three-point shots. Would we agree on that, Doctor? I think so, yeah. And a lot of them were open, too, but they just weren't yeah. falling. It was very, very strange. They were open. Uh, my, my contention is that there's only one defender out there. There's not another help defender that that should be affecting your level of marksmanship. So I, I'm uh, uh, the the exciting part about this conversation, specifically related to the Celtics, for me is they're kind of a case study early, even though it's early on, as to how the mechanics that most of these shooters are using can be very finicky, unreliable. Um, and, and I know that sounds judgmental, but but that's what I'm noticing most. It, it's just failing them. Thanks very much for that analysis. Uh, I just wanted to jump in and ask the following. Based on kind of, I don't know if you've watched any Celtics this year or seen any film footage, are there any players on the roster that stand out to you as having particularly unreliable or variable mechanics, either this year or just kind of in your own general analysis? Well, the primary players, contributors, they, they stand out because they have they have movements that I've, in the journey, the 14-year journey I've been on regarding this, uh, that I've abandoned, that I've let go um, because of their unreliability factor. Uh, they've been a little... They've been a little more segmented. Uh, they've required a little more effort and energy. They've required more reps to, to maintain or sustain in any kind of a consistency way. So, but most of them, whether it's Jalen or um, Nesmith or, or whomever, they have those movements that uh, they've got to deal with. There's an um, there's an inherent unbalance that exists with with those movements. Um, there's a there's some extraneous motions that they're probably not aware are negatively affecting them, and the coaches on the staff um, aren't even aware that they're that negatively impactful. Um, and, and that's true to that's due to their conventional traditional knowledge that they've uh, they've accumulated over the years. And I know that sounds nebulous, but th- that's what I'm noticing. When I watch a Jalen shoot or a, a, an Aaron, I'm noticing that there's there's a separation of arms from each other. There's a, a body turn or twist. Well, we're trying to straight uh, shoot as straight as we can towards a basket. And when you have those other movements countering uh, that, or, or having to deal with that, uh, it makes it difficult. And I think that's where the, the bulk of the struggles uh, seems to be coming from right now, this early. Yeah, there definitely seems to be some improvement, um, at least with Jalen. Uh, so on Monday, before before this last game against Chicago, the team was shooting 32.1% from, from beyond the arc, um, right. which was basically good for 21st in the league, even though they take the ninth most uh, three-pointers. And this is something that may be an issue because right now Jason Tatum, uh, he's 
responsible for about 23% of the team's offense. He is taking about eight shots per game from three-point range, and he's shooting under 30%. Um, maybe you could give us some insight on on why it seems this isn't the first season, too, that he's come in and been just terrible from three, at least to start. So is is it like an issue just of repetition? Is there something about, you know, easing into – I mean, they've been radically different seasons. I mean, last season they had a lot of trouble, and three-pointing didn't seem to be such a big problem. They were about 10th best in the league at 37.4% with um, a fairly, fairly poor record to show for it just the same. But one, one of these like really consistent things that we're seeing that may be feeding into at least a little bit is uh, Jason Tatum's, you know, heavy reliance on a three-point shot, particularly early in the season and particularly when it's not falling. So, you know, on not, not in an in-game situation, but he seems to be trying to shoot his way out of a slump as well. Yeah. And like, how do we deal with this? You know, should we, should we be focusing more on other players, uh, even though realistically – we're only going to go as far the Celtics, I should say. I'm not part of them, obviously. Um, they're only going to go as far as Jason Tatum can can carry them, and to a lesser extent, Jalen Brown can carry them. But there's other issues. We can talk about coverage later as well of, of those two players in particular. But this issue of inaccuracy seems to be um, really haunting the Celtics' offense right now to the point where where Marcus Smart is even uh, making a point of publicly criticizing. The, the load that those two are carrying offensively. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's a pretty good question, and it's one that's a little difficult to answer in some ways. But you generally, the thought is, yeah, you do want to try to shoot your way out of it. The problem is shooting from that that deep area mm-hmm. is that could be not as easily done as shooting your way out of it from the mid-range, a shorter distance shot. However, the advantage is you're more open. So you'd like to think that the level of confidence and the fact that you're you're fully aware there's no other defender coming around you that you have to contend with, that you're going to be a little more relaxed, a little more confident in launching it from out there. And that's probably why he's Tatum is doing that. Uh, the, The problem is... And, and God, I, I sound like a broken record here, and I apologize, but the, the mechanics really need getting into the gym the way we've all been advised to do over the years and just shoot yourself out of it, whether it's through reps, and it is primarily through reps, is a little bit misguided, I've come to, to understand and learn. And I, I was a player that bought into that wholeheartedly, uh, only to find out, yeah, it was really misguided. We need to qualitatively look. Tatum's got to get in that gym and the others get in the gym and understand why that ball traveled to the right, why that ball went off to the left or fell short or was overextended in in range. And and that would better suit all of the players uh, and and help the the staff in terms of being able to be more useful and helpful to those players. They suddenly haven't become – they haven't dumbed down in the way they play the game. I I don't see that happening. I just see that they're expecting those same shots that they're accustomed to making to still fall. And and they that expectation is unrealistic because they're, in fact, not falling. So what do we have to do? We have to look at the the movements that are causing that ball to travel. Now, uh, in in another interview – 
Somebody asked me if the ball, the new ball, you know, we all are aware of the change from the Spalding to the Wilson. And was that affecting last night? Damien was playing here in front of the Sixers. And uh, they asked me how much weight I put on that. And I, I have to say that's an app. That's you can't put much weight on that. That announcement was anticipated. Guys that are all using the same ball. Um, by now they've acclimated to it. It, it can't, it, I can't put that much stock in the ball being that responsible for this kind of struggling that the Celtics are experiencing. There was a little bit of struggle uh, in the Olympics as well with the scoring for Team USA. And I wonder if there is some kind of a relationship there. I know you don't necessarily know the answer to that, but um, Cameron, you, you wanted to say something. Yeah. On the topic of Tatum, uh, Roger, I'm wondering what you tell uh, younger clients or people that you work with, because we've seen Tatum, I think, get a little bit taller, but certainly kind of build out his frame. Um, so how do you help a young player who's, or, or maybe even older player whose body type has changed? What kind of guidance do you, do you give that sort of person? And maybe uh, have you seen anything from a player like Tatum in kind of going from a teenager to a, a young adult? You know, my my uh, uh, concern of mine in that kind of a situation is always regarding how it's changing. And if they're lifting and trying to strengthen it, that's got to be carefully monitored because you still want to maintain a level of flexibility while you're building that body uh, and prepping it for the next level, whether it's the next level of body mass, body change, or level of play um, or positionally um, dictated, but the movements have to be more. There's a mindlessness that creeps in when we get too caught up in the repetition part of shooting, whether it's from the foul line, the three ball, any distance that some of that repetition would be, it, it would be better served. It would better serve the player if it were, relegated a little bit and replaced with fewer repetitions, but a more mindfulness during those fewer repetitions. What was this at the point of release? Is he gripping the ball the same from the same area, positioning it the same locationally on the ball? Uh, is his guide hand interfering? Has it moved? Um, I, I think Nesmith had a, had a, uh, had his hand on top of the guide hand on top of the ball. Um, that's not an ideal place to have a guide hand. Uh, Corver, when Corver and I met, uh, he had his guide hand on top of the ball. Oh, I'm talking about one of the greatest shooters in the league. Um, but he had his hand on top of the ball and wasn't even aware of it. So that unawareness can be a real obstacle that I have to believe from afar is is so prevalent, and, and unfortunately, it's, it's it's being highlighted because it's all it's happening uh, on one team to this degree as the Celtics. Uh, so so there's got to be a little more attention to detail in that regard. What what and, and the and the bot, lower body uh, with Tatum, the lower body uh, I've identified as an issue with him. Uh, as it is with many of players, but with some players, it's a little more of an issue than others. Okay. Damian, I'm sorry. Damian Lillard, uh, 
Big issue. Big issue. So with regards to that, we are seeing some strange things taking place with three-point shooting on this team. Some of the worst shooters on the team are actually shooting pretty good this season. (laughs) Um, Some of the best shooters on this team are shooting terrible. You know, Tatum is shooting 27.3%. Peyton Pritchard shooting 31.3%. Marcus Smart, 23.5%. Al Horford, 21.4% as of Monday. Uh, These are some very, very bad rates. Uh, Jalen was shooting 32.4%, but you can see how small sample sizes can really affect that because now he's up to 37.8 on the season. So some of these things may be correcting themselves, but I mean, like even, even minor swings, like we saw uh, Grant Williams, who famously started um, his career missing like 20 something straight shots. Um, coming out on fire, shooting like seven, 70% from three-point range until a uh, team started adjusting to him being open. And now he's shooting still very, very good. I think about 50%, just a little under 50%. But one thing that really stands out here is the complexity of what they're being asked to do on both ends for Ime Adoka compared to what they were running at the end of last season is pretty significant. So I'm wondering if something like that, like adapting to an entirely new set of schema on both ends really – um, could be, you know, to explain why this has become considerably easier for some of the Celtics and who um, have not been so great at shooting and considerably worse off for some of these Celtics who have traditionally been relied on to, to provide shooting. Well, I, I, would, uh, I would throw out there that, that some of these players that you just enumerated actually shoot pretty well from the foul line, don't they? Horford, he's an 80-plus percent foul shooter, I believe. Most and, of them, yeah. and he's shooting. So think about that connection. Um, and I would, I would urge them all to think about that connection. Why, is, why am I shooting so well from the foul line where my lower body is less involved than it is when I'm shooting any jumper, any jumper, any distance almost, especially further out? But why is that disparity there? Whether it's and should it be? Uh, uh, My one of my strongest philosophies in the Gale method system is that that foul shot and that jump shot so be should be so identically similar that that three point shot percentage should be the second highest percentage rather than the field goal percentage. Uh, because it's such an open, uncontested shot, even though it's 25 feet out or 28 feet out, depending on your range. But all you're adding to it is a jump. So I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a, a, a horse here, a dead horse here, but th- there are a lot of mechanical issues that come together to make somebody a consistent shooter. Now, are these guys pressing or are some of these guys, um, that were accustomed to having schemes one way, allowing their taste, their unfamiliarity with that that new scene, uh, scheme, um, uh, not wanting to, to make the change? Are they allowing that to creep into their psyche to the degree where it's affecting their shooting? Well, I'm sure the coaching staff would like to think not. I'd like to think not, but it's not something that should be entirely overlooked. Uh, but that sh- shooting, some, shooting out of a, a slump, any slump, shooting slump, uh, 
The best advice I, that, that's been given before by many good shooting coaches has been go to the foul line, work on it there. Shoot yourself out of it at the foul line by drawing a foul during the, the context of a game um, and, and getting those mechanics working so that your confidence and, and you seeing that ball entering that basket cleanly, that beautiful swish, that sound, that, that the way it's ejected from the net um, you, and hits the floor. Seeing that happen goes to your, your confidence. You may have a point because right now, if I'm not mistaken, the Celtics um, lead the league in sending their opponents to the free throw line, and it is uh, yeah. been, it's been giving them life. That's what gave that's what gave Chicago life. You know, it's just it's it's kind of mind boggling, but you know, this is kind of this is something that we have been kind of banging on about for a year plus. If there is one kind of major flaw, particularly in Jason Tatum's game, it's that he should get to the line a lot more than he does I think I am far from the only person to have this take and it's so interesting to hear you say that Roger because I feel like for different reasons there's a variety of different reasons as to why Tatum getting to the line will do a lot for his game and why this team in general should be looking to get to the line a lot more for the free throws for the pace of the game for the chance to like rest and reset all of that stuff but to hear another angle on this same claim that like we really are trying to get to the line if anything so that the shots more reliably start falling i just think that's fascinating and it's it really gets at kind of the core issue that the Celtics have had really for like a year and a half plus now, they just don't get to the line and it's really hard to play winning basketball for so many reasons. If you don't do that. And there are some other advantages to go into the line. You're, you're getting that defender in trouble. I mean, you're and that defense. If we're talking about the starters, that, that, that squad, that best defender is probably the guy you'd like most to get the heck out of the game that's guarding you as quickly as you can. And uh, I can't overstate how valuable it is for the psyche to see that ball go through that net when you're struggling uh, from the foul line where everything stops, you can rest and step up there and feel the, and watch it happen and make it happen. And, and, and get be as present as you can be. Um, that you've got guys on the team that we're talking about here that are shooting. Uh, Horford, I, I missed. I misspoke. I think he's shooting almost ninety percent from the line um, currently. I, I know we've talked about how short a, a small sample it is, but ninety percent, and he's shooting twenty. That's a career in, in the, too. Yeah, twenty-eight or something from the from the three. Um, and he's not the only one. There are other guys who, who tend to show that kind of element. Uh, even Marcus Sport is, is close to shooting 78, 79%. But he's shooting 20. Like you said, he's shooting in the in the 20s from the three ball. So, he's particularly uh, maddening, too, because he's up and down and up and down and lately mostly down. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and the coach, look, it, it's a benefit to get the, the other team in foul trouble. We all know that. Um, 
Now, they've been shooting particularly bad from right around the basket, too. Now, some of that has just been because they don't really, you know, play with a post presence, um, except for, you know, the rare time that they have Enos Cantor on the floor, which is a whole different conversation. Uh, Love you, Enos. Not on the court, though. Um, But there seems to be a reluctance to to get in and get those fouls. Um, And there seems to be some problems converting. Um, Some of it is related to Jason Tatum getting very upset when he doesn't get these calls that he is accustomed to getting. (laughs) That's a league-wide thing this year. And and frankly speaking, I I think it's we're we're the better for it. I think the the, the games have been moving much more quickly and have been much more enjoyable. But it's also kind of changing how the teams are are playing. Um, And for the Celtics, what they have been doing is really leaning on three-point attempts, particularly with with bad shooters, because – and this is my own pet theory here. I don't know if there's any truth to it. Uh, Ime is probably not going to coach Ime Odoke. is probably not going to tell me the case um, that my theory is the reason why we are seeing um, mostly bad shooters play mostly large minutes is because, you know, all coaches want to play with veterans. Obviously that's one, one clear part of it, but I suspect that the younger players who happen to be the, the better shooters, the Neesmiths, the Peyton Pritchards, they may be struggling with these new coverages and then they may be as a result, not getting the kind of playing time they need to actually do the shooting. So it's kind of like a damned if you do damned, if you don't situation, like in your opinion, are they playing enough shooting? Is it better to, to have, you know, competent proven defenders on the floor who can at least competently, if not perfectly execute these new defensive schema, at least, while the the younger guys learn it, if not for the whole season. I mean, what's your take on what's going on with these rotations? Because some people are starting to get pretty upset about the lack of shooting on the floor. Well, uh, there there are some dynamics I've noticed within the few games I've seen that some of these players to a cat, you're usually most open upon the, the receipt of a pass, usually. And yet we see... Not, not only the Celtics, but we see players all over who will pass up that shot as soon as they receive the ball. That It could be a mid-range, it could be a three-ball. But they pass up that shot to put the ball on the floor and do a isolation kind of series of dribbles and moves yep. and, try to, and take a, a more difficult shot. Well, if, if you're already being challenged or you're suffering or you're in a bit of a slump, that's a bit ill-advised. That's probably not the the thing you'd want to do. Why not recognize that you were open to take the shot, be more ready to shoot it upon the catch and shoot it and shoot it a little more effortlessly and a little less contestedly. Um, and, and, and that could be the difference in knocking down more shots from either distance, mid, short, or long. Um, but and the shooting, I think that analytics have a role in this, of course. That we, If teams are launching as many threes as they obviously are launching, the math has dictated that, the math. Mm-hmm. We can't, you can't trade, one team can't trade another team with twos and threes. They, the numbers don't work that way. The threes are going to dictate the win. Um, even if you're a worse shooting, sometimes depending on the margin of separation, but you can be a, you can shoot worse from the three 
ball area than the opponent. But if you shoot more, you can still win that game because of the math. So those are elements that I'm sure are playing into the the minds of the coaching staff, uh, as well as some of the players who are being urged to take these shots. And and, uh, the fans may not be aware of that, but that may be a dynamic that's at work. And uh, we do have to, as players, we do have to listen to what the coaches are urging us to do, or else we're going to find ourselves over on the bench. And, And sometimes the people that are easily influenced by that are the newer players, the younger players, they can be a little more persuaded (laughs) to do that than some of the veteran-like players who have become accustomed to doing it maybe a certain way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, it really, really does. And it's interesting that you you actually advocate for maybe um, letting it fly a little bit earlier now. Last season really mentally scarred us with the lack of ball movement. Um, the ball always got stuck with the Jays. There's more ball movement now, but it's still getting stuck with the Jays. Last night wasn't really, you know, with, with the Chicago Bulls. We were recording this on uh, Tuesday. Um, that wasn't really the root of the problem. But this season, the Jays are passing it less than they did last season. And we are seeing more of these, you know, Kobe-esque uh, hand-in-the-face of Jason Tatum fading away shots. Um, that he he just does it a bunch at the end of a bunch of dribbling, um, kind of in a way that you just you know it's not going to work the way he's been shooting lately. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily good for some players like you know I'm looking at you, Marcus Smart, early in the shot clock, you know, early in the possession. But if maybe you know anytime one of the Jays is open, they just gun it and people position themselves better for rebounding, which has through all the games, been a major issue this season. Maybe that's a combination of strategies that actually might work more along the lines of what you're saying. Well, that's a good observation, too. And that is a, what, one of the hardest shots in, in the game of basketball still remains that fade, that you know, back to the basket and then falling away. That's a difficult shot. You know, we think of Kobe Bryant and some other players who have been able to do it pretty fairly effectively. But all in all, that statistically, not a real high percentage shot. No. Um, it, why, and, and as basketball players, that macho mentality kicks in sometimes to a, to a fault to where it, it works against you. And um, with bat, male ball players in particular, it, that can be a – that can be a serious problem, and that isn't one. Uh, that is one that I've recognized is is uh, certainly worth discussing um, amongst the players and the coaches within the Celtics organization. From an out, that's an outsider's perspective. Um, you know, with with a professional slant on scoring and the simplicity that it that can be introduced um, that that oftentimes isn't introduced uh, in lieu of something like we're talking about, Dr. Justin <laughs> Quinn. This, that, I, I, I know I'm open, but I'm going to take this. I'm, I'm going to start backing in and, and, and uh, you know, ISO and, and all kinds of uh, one-on-one maneuverability and then attempt a shot that was on the difficulty scale a lot harder. Yeah, that's been a, a real recurring issue. Um. So this begs the question. This is really my my last big question for you. I know Alex has one he wants to ask you as well, but 
what do we do with this team? I mean, is is the lineup changing? Like changing a lineup, uh, maybe the approach is it power through and learn the lessons the hard way. That seems to be the plan. Uh, do we want to maybe simplify the approach to the offense and make it, you know, maybe easier to scheme against, but also less difficult to screw up? Like, what's the what's the in your opinion from from your, your your assessment of the situation, what do you think the Celtics should at least consider doing? Well, I like the last part of what you just suggested. Uh, Dr. Quinn, I like the last part of that uh, very much as, as one, one viable solution or at least um, attempt to, to remedy the situation. Let's try to simplify or, or get these guys all on the same page enough to understand and recognize an easier shot. I mean, film film study should be able to do that relatively convincingly. Um, uh, the veterans can play a role in that if they're of the right mindset. And, and I don't know if that's going to come across the way I mean it to come across, but they they need to step up. And, and sometimes it's difficult under these conditions to show your best leadership qualities. Um, I mean, that's just, that's nature, but, but that wouldn't hurt. The, the other thing is um, practice. You've got to get, you've got to begin to practice it differently. And, and there's no, it's six or seven games into the season. They've still got a, a, a lot of games left. And you'd like to think that the ship will correct itself a little bit, but we could probably as a coach, as a coaching staff, you'd like to try to do it as quickly as you can. Um, and sometimes you need to, to enlist the help of some of the veterans to get that same message you'd like to get out there through them, being conveyed almost, through them. It almost seems as if they might be better off trying to invert their offense and try to focus everything on the players that you know teams haven't learned to key in on because they just swarmed the Jays at this point and it's been very effective so maybe if they just become primary playmakers uh or you know let Marcus Smart actually be a point guard like a real point guard uh then you know diming up people who don't usually get it and you just keep running it until the shots do start falling uh I'm not really sure but we can probably talk about this until until you know the next game is over I'm just going to go ahead and see the floor to Alex because I know he has something he wants to ask you more specific. Thanks, Justin. And Roger, I have to say, I think this has been a really insightful analysis. You know, I've been left kind of scratching my head about why a team with so much talent has uh, really struggled so mightily at the gate. And I think you've clarified a lot of things for me. Uh, one more. Yeah. So one more question I have for you, just kind of based on, you know, what Celtics you have watched, and this might be based off of experience, this year and uh, based off of experience uh, watching some players that they've brought in recently, what player do you see on the Celtics uh, who has the best model of good shot mechanics from release, fluidity, base, consistent motion? Like what, what player, when the Celtics go into shoot around, what player should they be looking at to try and kind of emulate the mechanics Oh boy, that that's a that is a hard one for me to answer because I'm no longer a traditionalist 
And most of these, you would expect them to, and they should have that traditional technique. And they do have it. It's, it's just so riddled with unnecessary difficulty and extraneous movements and motions that it makes it cumbersome. Uh, it, it, and I know that's not the answer you're looking for. There's um, okay. <laughs> there, there's not one player that that stands out as a as a model for me. Uh, and I hate the way that sounds, but and, and I hope it's not too critical. I could say that of almost any team. Now, there, there, with the with the Clippers, whom I had a conversation about not too long ago, I could say, well, Kawhi had a great hand. That's the Kawhi Leonard has a wonderful, not because it's a big hand, but he had a hand that every player would benefit from having. Um, well, if you haven't seen Kawhi Leonard play and shoot, you wouldn't even know what that hand was. But if you have, then you know exactly what that hand is. Very distinctly different. And there's no one on the team of the Celtics that I can say that about, unfortunately. I apologize, but uh, I can't. Well, Roger, why don't I hop in? I actually had a similar last question. So we will um, we'll close with this. First, I want you to, to tell us about the Gala uh, shot-making system a little bit. But then also, if you could close, not necessarily a player to model your shot after, but just who's who's a guy in the NBA right now that when you watch them play, just the like watching them shoot brings you joy. Um, and I'll say that my answer is Clay Thompson. So you could pick anyone other than Clay. Um, so okay. <laughs> we'll get you out of here on that. Tell us about the system and tell us about your favorite shooter in the league. The system, the system is a um, an entirely scientifically principled engineered shooting system. Now, what I mean by that is it's not something that I, that I became comfortable doing uh, and, and showed such promise or improvement in what I was formerly doing as the third leading scorer in the country and NBA prospect, but it's, it's all based in biomechanically superior movement that is easier to repeat. And that's kind of what we're talking about. The repeatability factor is one that lends itself very strongly to consistency that we're not seeing here for the Celtics team yet. Um, um, in, pra- in order to become better at it, you have to practice it. Well, if the movements are simpler and they're kinesiologically simpler uh, and they're biomechanically correct or more correct, then they're probably going to give you those kinds of results. Uh, anatomy, the way the body should move. Well, coincidentally, some of the way the body should move plays well into the way we should shoot. And this system has a big part of that in it. It's, it's, it's a more balanced way of shooting. Well, that means we're not twisting or turning probably. And just about every player on this team, uh, and I was guilty of this myself when I played, uh, twists and turns while they're shooting, jumpers. Uh, And that can't be avoided doing it the way we've all been taught to do it. Um, So it's, it's a biomechanically, kinesiologically more easy set of movements, fewer movements that are a little more seamless when they're 
in, in when they begin from start to finish, from the toes all the way through the fingers. It's just a more seamless, effortless way to move. Now, the question about which of my, what, that's a loaded question for me because uh, over the years, I've, I've actually toyed with the idea of creating a robo-shooter. And what would that, that would consist of somebody like Clay Thompson. And I'm not using him, he's one of my favorite shooters, but a Clay Thompson, there's a part of what he does he and Duncan Robinson do that are so similar. That's a part of this engineered shot that I've created. And it's great. It's a huge advantage and it's working pretty well for the two of them. There's a part that Kawhi had that I referenced earlier. And, and that's a very important part. There's a part that uh, uh, Clay, not Clay, but uh, Steph Curry has. Well, and that's, that is a very um fatigue limiting, limiting part that also is uh, connected to maybe fewer injuries in the process of jump shooting that accompanies it. So there, those are some, Kevin Durant has another part of this engineered shooting system that I've developed over the 14-year journey that I've been on. Um, but they're all rooted and supported by those principles of physics, uh, even, even math. You know, we talked about math from an analytics perspective, guys. What about the math from the, the margin of error perspective? Well, that's a big part of most of these shooters' uh, struggles right now. They don't have the mathematical advantages, the play, players that I train and that now I shoot with, uh, that can be a huge, can have a huge effect on your level of accuracy. We don't have that in the, in the traditional shooting system. So, you know, I, I know some of this may sound convoluted to some extent, but it's a radically different way of shooting that isn't going to look a lot differently, but boy, the results are significantly differently. Well, Roger, thanks so much for this. This really fascinating stuff. Alex, Justin, and I were pretty bummed to talk about the Celtics, but this is, <laughs> this is a, a, a way uh, happier tune. So we thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your wisdom. Um, so folks should really go check out the Roger Galo, the Galo basketball shot making system. Uh, because if, if you're like me, your jump shot could probably stand to improve a little bit. I can speak from personal experience. That is correct. Kim's jump shot does need to improve. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't refute that. He's right. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks again, Roger. Thanks, Roger. And, and I'm still positive about the Celtics. They're going to correct this. Yeah, we love to hear so. that. That's Excellent. What That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks again to Roger Galo for coming on the pod. And even though he was quite literally a ray of sunshine and hope and enthusiasm, we have to talk about what's going on with the Boston Celtics, which is none of those things right now. So I can't imagine anyone listening isn't aware, but the Celtics are now two and five on the season, punctuated, of course, by this brutal loss to Chicago. I actually was fidgeting with NBC Sports Boston. The app was unsuccessful, but gave up because the Celtics were up so big only to find out that 
boy, oh boy, did they not win that basketball game. So uh, the fallout of that game has been swift and not so good. Jalen Brown declined to talk to the media after. And Smart said, among other things, that the Jays need to pass, that he can't be effective from the corner. I'll read a bit of a quote post-game from Marcus Smart. Uh, talking about the Jays and their need to pass out, that's something that they're going to learn. There's, this is my Marcus Smart impression, my very good Marcus Smart impression. They're still learning. We're proud of the progress they're making, but they're going to have to make another step and find ways to not only create for themselves, but create for others on this team to open up the court for them later down in the game. It's something we've been asking them to do, and they're learning. We just got to continue to help those guys do that to help our team. Justin and Alex, people are not only agreeing with Smart, but also calling him a hypocrite. I myself am calling for more uh, Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. And maybe we should talk about defense. So, Dr. Quinn, I'll go with you first. What the hell, man? <laughs> What's going on? So, Smart's right, but Smart's also wrong. Smart was not right about the passing being so relevant in the collapse to Chicago. But, you know, that may be more symptomatic of the stuff that he was describing, which is, you know, we talked about it in the last segment quite a bit this over-reliance on the Jays and how even now, even with more ball movement, you know, there goes my pet theory from last season Mm -hmm. that there is still this inability to maintain focus, maintain engagement um, top to bottom. And, you know, the Jays are failing in in the same regards as some of the other players are in terms of defense per per your, your mention of that. But there's a lot of stuff going on from, from rebounding to other players actually making shots and opening up the floor, defensive effort, getting back on defense. I mean, there's a long, 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 long laundry list, some of which is definitely related to learning this new system, uh, some of which is definitely related to who can stay on the floor with this new system. But mm-hmm. honestly, as much as Smart may have been wrong about that one particular game, he does have a point. Yeah, I, I largely agree. I think Smart, you know, people often don't like to hear hard truths and kind of o- tend to overreact uh, pretty pretty negatively in the case of Boston media types uh, usually. But Smart, I think, is even if perhaps the method that he chose to deliver these statements may have alienated some people, uh, which is maybe more important than the message he delivered. It nonetheless, I think rings true in a lot of ways. Um, I do, you know, one of the things that I was kind of looking forward to this year is seeing Marcus uh, get a little bit more empowered as a true point guard to kind of generate offense, make some plays and really get involved. And so far that just hasn't been happening a whole lot. I think a lot of it is the uh, kind of pressure to learn a new system while also executing at the same time on a high level is, I, I think maybe this is speculation on my part, but it, it kind of seems like the Jays are going back to their comfort zone on the floor, so to speak, where when an initial action in this new system breaks down, rather than sticking with that action and trying to ride it out, even if it's not always pretty, the Jays default to their talents as isolation scorers. And they have been pretty brilliant at that, particularly Jalen, even in uh, all of these losses. But if they, if they really want to execute 
the Udoka system at a high level. And maybe, maybe the system itself has flaws, but if they really want to execute it at a high level, that's going to require a level of growth and maturity from Jalen and Jason to kind of trust their teammates and not default to just going straight back into their uh, kind of shot making and uh, individual creation abilities. And I want to give some credit because I do think while Marcus is largely right, I do think um, the Jays have been making some notably better efforts to get other players involved in some spots. Um, I, I think they have made a lot of passes that have not been converted into assists. And that is where the personnel on the floor really matters, where the mm-hmm. Celtics probably need to put more shooters like Andy Smith and like Peyton Pritchard and maybe not like Josh Richardson, for example, on the floor. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Marcus is right about the most important point, which is that everybody knows where the ball is going in crunch time. Everybody knows where the ball is going late in game. And if you look at the stats last night against the Bulls, Jalen and Jason, I, I, I might be misquoting this, but I'm pretty sure Jalen and Jason combined made two shots last night and took, I think it was like 12 attempts, something like that in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. That's just not a sustainable way to win a basketball game. So no, it was, I think it was the worst Celtics fourth quarter since uh, 2014 or something like that. And their fourth quarter numbers are just across the board. Continuation of last season, fully uh, uninspired. Just quickly, uh, in terms of bookkeeping a little bit, um, the Celtics, since we last talked, did pick up options on Neesmith, Pritchard, Langford, and Williams. So perhaps bringing in the young guys as flanking the Jays, it doesn't look like the Celtics are cutting those guys loose. So they're going to be, you know, in Boston's orbit. Uh, we got to cut out pretty soon. We, someone has a, a mom birthday to go to, but uh, between now and five games from now, the Celtics will be on the road in Orlando, Miami, and Dallas. And then we'll play a pesky Toronto team and Milwaukee back in the garden. Let's, not assume the worst, but I suppose there's a world where this is a two and 10 team uh, after that stretch. So uh, Justin, I'll go back to you first. What are your hopes and ambitions for the next five games? And quite frankly, where's your panic meter at knowing that the next five games are going to be tough? My panic meter is actually surprisingly low. I am not particularly worried about this team this season just yet. But I also recognize that media narratives, fan engagement, these kinds of things can kind of work together to create a really negative vibe that in itself becomes a force to contend with. And that I am pretty panicky about. This team does need a few more games to be able to get their, pardon my friend, shit together and try to figure out if this scheme is possible. Because it's a good scheme for players who have had issues with engagement because you must stay engaged for it to work. Right. But if it doesn't work at some point, they are going to have to pull the plug and try something simpler as we were alluding to in the last segment. So for now, I'm pretty, pretty comfortable, but in, if we don't, if we don't see at least two wins over the next say five games, then I think we're going to see both some major lineup changes and some, some style of play changes coming down the pike just because at that point, you might as well just develop the young players and hope that uh, simple, simplifying things so they can play gets you some kind of a win. I think uh, my panic meter 
it's kind of hard to say because on the one hand, I don't want to overreact, uh, you know, new system, new coach, new players. This stuff takes time. The NBA is brutal and waits for nobody. Uh, and so the struggles out of the gate, I suppose, in some ways were a little predictable and maybe I wasn't giving them enough credit during the offseason. At the same time, there are a few trends that are really concerning on this team, particularly the way that they are not engaged at all in transition defense, three-point defense, and crashing the glass on offense and defense. Those three factors together, along with the uh, what we talked about with Roger not getting to the line, that is a really brutal set of factors to be struggling in if you want to be a good basketball team, let alone a playoff level basketball team. So the Celtics really, really, really need to clean up the kind of basics, the fundamentals of their game before they're ready to take that next step. And maybe this goes into Dr. Quinn's point about simplifying things and the necessity of simplifying things. I do think that they can get there. The roster is just too talented to not ultimately get to that level, but there are some really troubling trends that are happening. And if they don't do something to address them in these next five games, I think we are going to be in real danger of having a lost season. Or a lottery pick. Woo. Or a lottery pick. Well, I am not in a panic. I don't think. I said this last night. This team just is like a crazy amount of talent. There's no reason for them to be in the bottom of the barrel. But at the same time, uh, it's early returns, but they, it doesn't look like there's that many crappy teams in the NBA. And at the very least, the ones that are crappy, like uh, Cleveland they're gonna, or Orlando for that matter, they're going to give this Celtics team problems for the reasons Alex just identified, because they're big and the Celtics don't attack the rim in the right way. Um, so even if the Celtics start to right the ship, ah, it's going to be really hard. They're going to have to go on a tear for them to break out of what I bet will be a mediocre but hefty middle class in the Eastern Conference. So I'm not using terms like lost season or lottery picks yet, but the idea the Celtics are going to be the second seed like I had hoped uh, feels far off now. Um, so on that happy and wonderful note, uh, happy birthday to Alex's mom. Congrats to Divine Sweater's uh, recent shows and how successful those were. You should make sure to subscribe and like this podcast if you haven't already. And we will see you all next week. Adios. Just nice.